looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Make Money Make Sense. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, this week on the show, and join with me, my co-host, DJ Smith. DJ, how we doing? Doing great, Dante. Always good to be here with you. I'm always glad to have you here with me, but this week we have a repeat guest, Chris Larson from Next Level Income on the show talking about his latest deal him and his team are working on. Blue Water Apartment Homes, Charleston, South Carolina, 350-unit 2019 construction apartment complex. This, believe it or not, is a value-add deal. Most people hear 2019 and they think it's a core or core plus deal, and that's incorrect. There's some value to be had in this deal, and Chris does a great job telling the story and what they're going to be doing with this project. So really excited to have him back on the show. Yeah, Chris is great to listen to. Uh, one of these very calming uh, personalities, and he takes you from step A to step B to step C. It's awesome. Yeah, he really does a great job, you know, again, going over this, explaining it. It is a 506C offering, so we are allowed to talk about it publicly. And uh, if you guys are interested in investing something like this with Chris, they're still putting the deal together, I believe, um, as we air this episode, so you can get in contact with him. But other than that, let's welcome Chris into the show. All right, Chris, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? Dante, it's always great talking to you. I love I love hearing about all the deals you guys are doing and always love to uh, either talk or get together when we can. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And, you know, we're having you on this show. We're doing a deal deep dive. We had you on a, uh, a few episodes back. We talked about uh, your background, your great book, uh, Next Level Income, all that fun stuff. So now we're, we're you know, the sponsors we really enjoy the operators we really like we have them back on the show kind of talk about what they're doing and what's going on so this week we're going to be talking about the blue water apartment homes deal you have in south carolina um, i guess what i'll do is i'll let you do a, a quick high level of the deal and then we're just going to kind of dissect it little by little and break it out and uh, go from there so i'll let you take the floor my friend no i appreciate it so i, I love this deal and i'll for, for a couple of different reasons, from personal perspective as well, from a business perspective. So it's called Blue Water at Bolton's Landing. It's in the market of Charleston, South Carolina. So for those that didn't hear the first podcast, I guess I should say um, there's you can get a copy of my book for your listeners, Dante. If you're listening today, go to nextlevelincome.com. Click on the book link. If you put your address in, I'll even send you a copy. You can also get the ebook or the audio book there. Um, and tells all about my story, kind of our strategy and those sorts of things. But Blue Water's in Charleston. And in my book, I talk about the first deal I invested in. This is going back about eight years ago. And it was right down the road in Charleston, South Carolina. And I think I'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers, but I still think even today, it was the best performing asset that I invested in. I wasn't LP in that deal. That wasn't a deal that I was a GP in. So got a little bit of a soft spot in Charleston, actually took my family down there. Um, I have nine and 11 year old boys. And what I love to do is I love to take them to every one of our deals. We kind of make an event out of it. Last week, we spent the week at Folly Beach, which is love right that. down the road from this asset in West Ashley, which is the 
uh, little city or town outside of Charleston. It's about 10, 15 minutes away from Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, we toured the deal. I asked my sons, like, what do they, what do they like? What do they see? Why do you think people like to live here? What do you think we can do with this property? Why is it a good investment? Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. I still got a little bit of a tan from my from my trip down there. Um, the property was built in two phases, coming online in 2018 and 2019. And what I'm what I'm about to say next might surprise some people. It's a value add deal. So you might be thinking, Chris, what, how, how are you adding value to a property that came fully online in 2019? Well. If anyone has heard of Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm not not sure where your listeners are spread out, but I'm sure you guys are all across the country, maybe even some internationally, but Charleston, South Carolina is one of the top destinations in the country for vacations, for weddings, for culinary, um, a lot of great things in Charleston. It's also a great place to live. My family and I actually almost moved there ourselves. And West Ashley being just outside of the main city of Charleston has like a lot of places in the country that are like this over the past five years just exploded with development. So when this property was planned, so if you think about it, if the first phase came online in 2018, it's 2021 today, it was being planned about five years ago. And if you look at pictures of this property, and let's see if I can show um, a picture to the camera here for those those of you that are watching. It's got this beautiful architecture, kind of like that Charleston architecture. Um, you know, just a gorgeous garden style apartment. It's on a great piece of property. It backs into a residential community of Bolton's Landing. It's got nature trails. You see the birds flying in the trees, you know, the water birds when you're out around the um, pool, you know, the fitness area. Then you walk inside of these units and you have to stop because they're kind of dark and gloomy and they just missed when it came to the finishes because they, were, they weren't looking at what the market was today. So if you tour the nearby deals, you see that the interiors have stainless steel, they have quartz, and they just they look like you expect in a class A asset today. So our plan, because this property is 10th in the market when it comes to rents, is to invest $6,000 a unit bring rents up 150 to $200. And that's where we're going to create value for our investors. Love to hear so, that. Yeah. So Chris, a question on rents in Charleston, uh, you know, yeah. we've, we've stayed there. I live in South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, for people that don't know, absolutely check it out. Some really unique things going on there. Very old town, historic preservation and so on. Starting off with rents, though, what kind of rents are we talking about for this Class A property in Charleston? Where are you at now? Where are you going to take it? Yes, yeah, so market rents in this area are about $1.75 a square foot. So you're talking about $1,500, depending on the unit size. We're at $141 a square okay. foot for okay. this property. Yep. So, um, yeah, so and if you go to downtown Charleston, you're talking about higher end of that, the further you get out, you know, the lower those rents go. Uh, the nice thing about this market is about equidistant in between uh, Folly Beach, so you can go surf, like we like to do in our family, or you can cruise downtown, but you're not, you're not downtown where all the traffic is, but it's a short 10, 15 minute drive, or even a bike ride. I was riding my bike down there. Um, tremendous medical um, facilities down there, lots of, lots of medical employees, um, for instance. Yeah. And uh, I've actually been to Folly Beach twice this year, yeah, so I, I can awesome. definitely resonate with the area. It is cool. Uh, I think this is a great asset. Like you're saying, love the style. Uh, Charleston, very strict, right? Are you actually in the city of Charleston? Are there any of these 
you know, historic districts? What did you have to deal with there or what do you have to deal with going forward? Yeah, fortunately, we're, we're not right in the city, so we don't have to deal with those sorts of things. Um, so again, we get, we get all the benefits, but we don't have to deal with uh, the, the issues that are associated with that. And the area that we're in, and we can talk more about that here in a little bit, um, has a lot of development going on because it's just outside of where a lot of those restrictions are coming into play. Yeah, it's like that. Now, Chris, how did you guys come out to find this deal? Now, did you guys have a relationship with the current owner or developer? Was a, a broker brought the deal to you? How did you guys find this deal? Yeah, so um, if anybody's familiar or not familiar, uh, my partners, so we're spread kind of between here and Charleston. So two of my partners live in Columbia, South Carolina, which is about halfway between Asheville, where I live, and Charleston. And our other partner is actually in Charleston. So uh, my partner, Brandon, who heads up our acquisitions team, he has a background not only in contracting, but also in commercial insurance, adjusting, underwriting. And this was one of the areas that he covered. So between those two partners with their experience in the market, one local, one there, uh, experience with the broker, we were able to uh, pick up this deal um, from those relationships, as well as the local knowledge that we have in that market. Awesome. Glad to hear it. And purchase price. So what are you guys buying this property for on a per unit basis? Yeah. So we are at, let me see here. I got a, we got a lot of stuff going on. No, right you're now, fine. So it's it's you. a big deal. We're, it's 350 yep. units. We should mention, yeah, by the way, we never mentioned that. Yeah. It's 350 units. We're right at $86.6 million. I'm sorry, $85.6 million. Um, so you, somebody's probably out there doing the math quicker than I am. <laughs> But we are right at uh, about $244,000 a unit for this property. Okay, awesome. And then we talked about vintage uh, part 2018, 2019. Uh, what about unit mix? So we know it has 350 mm -hmm. units. Do you know roughly yep. what the mix is? Yeah, so we're broke down. We have in this property, uh, we have about 20% or one, uh, one bedroom and the rest are split in between two and three bedrooms in this property. Okay, Awesome. And then we, you said it's an A-class deal, obviously, because of the amenities you've described and the neighborhood you've talked about, and obviously the uh, age of the vintage. What do you guys, uh, a lot of people are interested in like the purchase cap rate, the reversion cap rate, or the exit cap rate. Talk to us about the story there. There's always a story with that. What are you guys taking the property in at? Are you adjusting for taxes or any fixed expenses? And then where do you guys plan on exiting at? Yeah, so one of the things we like to do, we always assume that we are going to, the cap rate we're going in at, we're going to exit at usually, we, we assume, we like to assume an uptick in cap rate. So, I mean, you could say, hey, we're going we're gonna to go out at the same cap rate, maybe a little bit higher, but I always like to direct investors towards uh, the higher end of that. So we're going in the low fours, about four and a quarter, and we're assuming we're going to exit somewhere at or above that. But what we do for investors, Dante, is we like to do an illustration so they can say, you know, you have some investors that think we're going to continue to go down. And I wouldn't argue too hard with that. If you look around the world, what we're seeing with interest rates, if you know, you're looking at negative interest rates in a lot of countries, a lot of countries, we have a lot of international capital flowing in, but then you have other investors that say, no, we're, we're in inflation and interest rates are going up. And I think, you know, you've got to adjust for that. So we basically, you know, we let investors see what a range of exit cap rates would be. Um, but for us, especially for our internal metrics, we always assume that we're going to have a slight uptick in those cap rates. And I think you had a second part of that question. 
Um, uh, yeah, we we're seeing what you're going in at. So you were saying about the uh, a four and a quarter, and then you were saying for exit, you guys are either the same or a little bit uptick. But you, you said about this kind of like table you show for the, and I've got it pulled up in the OM here, which is beautiful, by the way. And I like that approach because you're not just saying this is the hard and fast cap rate we're going to exit at. You show them a metrics of, you know, if, if that cap rate is going to compress a little bit more, you, you know, returns are going to be off the hook. If it's going to kind of stay where it's at, we've got some still some strong returns. And then you show if it increases by at least 50 basis points, you're, you're still hitting strong returns. Yeah. And I think like, so if you're listening and you're an investor, I think this is an important point. Like you can, you know, as, as an operator, you know, I'm Dante, DJ, you guys understand, like you can take this, uh, the spreadsheet and you can say, Hey, I'm going to give you whatever return you want. You just turn a couple of levers here and there. You yep. assume that you double rents, you know, that you, you know, decrease cap rates and you can, you can pr project just fantastic returns for investors. And so I've heard investors listen say, carefully, yeah. <laughs> limited investors, these people that are passive investors, because this is really, really good. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, this is why I think, you know, once you under once you understand and you've chosen an asset class and a geography to invest in, you have to trust, know, like, believe that the operator you're working with has experience in doing what they're doing. And again, if you don't know how to read and understand what a cap rate is and how much the rent growth is, you know, I've had investors say, "Well, I'm not going to invest in anything that per you know is less than a thirty percent return." That's an actual quote from an investor. I'm like, okay, well, I can give you that return. Let me just let me just change a couple of numbers on my spreadsheet because it all has to do with assumptions. So I'm a numbers guy. I went to school for engineering. I I worked in the medical device industry, but I, I'm I'm not I'm not an engineer. Although I have my PE, um, I, I passed the PE exam. That, that's an that's, engineer, by the way. <laughs> thank you. But I think about it. But I'm not a practicing engineer. But I yes, think that yeah, way. Yeah. So I always think I go back and an engineer is taught. And it sounds like you know this DJ to analyze the assumptions before you solve a problem. So I always say, well, what are these assumptions? So if you're an investor, ask the operator, whoever's presenting the deal to you, say, so Chris, what, what are your assumptions going on? Just like you just asked me here, Dante and DJ. So what are the assumptions? What are the entrance? What are the exit cap rates? That's going to allow you to figure out, are these reasonable assumptions? Or are these crazy assumptions? So for me, being a numbers guy, you know, I, I like to see a matrix. It does confuse a lot of newer investors because it's a lot simpler to just tell an investor, I'm going to give you a 15% return. But if you say, well, it could be 10, it could be 20, you know, and based upon this and that, it's, it takes a lot more work on the front end and communicating, but we try to be transparent. And we also, you know, like to tell investors, hey, if, if you're not comfortable with the lower end of these returns, this probably isn't a good deal for you. You know, if you say, I got to get a 25% return, Chris, everything's got to go perfectly. Cap rates have to compress, you know, rents have to increase 8% a year, like, I mean, which they are this year, right? But I don't think they can, they're going to continue for the next five years like that. Although it's, who knows, we'll see what happens. But, you know, you, you've got to say, hey, I'm, I'm comfortable if not everything goes right with a deal. And we try to be conservative and also show that, especially when it comes to things like cap rates that are out of our control. Yeah, I love that line of thinking. We actually subscribe to that same line of thinking. And as we go through and put together offering memorandums, um, we go back and forth. Uh, Dante has this great term, you know, the confused mind takes no action. And Absolutely. Analysis need, paralysis too, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. So 
it, it is a fine line to draw, uh, but I tend to lean towards what you're saying. It's this, and this is the engineer in us, right? Uh, we like to be calculated and we also like to have a discussion on risk. So for those that are investing in these kinds of deals, you need to understand that you're basically becoming part of a business. The business is the apartment building and we're making projections and those returns are based on projections. Absolutely. So the key Absolutely. terms, right, that we, we talk to people about, cash on cash, IRR, if you don't know what those terms are, I don't wanna you know, do a deep dive on an educational session here, uh, but from an LP perspective, if somebody's looking at this deal, uh, review with us some of those basics uh, that you're basically putting out in your OM and where you guys landed. Yeah. So uh, you mean for deal specifics, like yes. what the actual yep. returns are? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I, I'm always, I'm always hesitant to talk about like specific returns, but this is a 506C offering. So it's, it's available publicly. It's available out there. Um, if you're listening today, you're welcome to reach out and, and get more details. But in my book, you know, I talk about like some of the returns that we look for. So as a basis, we typically like to give investors you know, mid to high single digit returns. So five, six, seven, eight percent. So on this deal, we're, we're right in that range. We're averaging about 7% over our projected five-year hold period. So we're going in and a value-add deal, let me take a step back here. A value-add deal is typically a deal that you're going in, you're purchasing a stable asset that's already cash flow positive. So our model is we're going in, we're buying an asset, like you just said, DJ, that's a business that has in-place revenues. And we're doing a couple of things. We're improving operations, which is going to drive costs lower. And we're improving the property itself, typically through interior and exterior renovations. In this case, we're, we're investing about $6,000 per unit. So you can do the math. It's a couple million dollars for interior renovations. And this is a package that we do on almost all of our properties. So we're buying hundreds of units worth of this stuff. I had an investor say, I couldn't renovate my kitchen for $6,000. I said, no, there's no way. But, you know, we own, remember, we own, we, we have the staff that is doing this. So like, you know, we're talking about materials. Um, labor is, is a different package. So if you're, if you're thinking like these numbers just don't seem to make sense to me. Right. They're buying one faucet. You guys are buying a thousand faucets. It's exactly. Different. Yeah. Yeah. And you're exactly. not doing a 2,500 square foot home either. That's right. Exactly. And, you know, we have the same team that's going in and they might be renovating five units in the course of two weeks. So they're just, you know, they're going in um, and doing something that's very turnkey. But those interior improvements are going to allow us to drive that revenue higher, those rents higher, correct? So, you know, that, that difference is going to be what increases revenue and increases our distribution. So typically when we're buying a property, we might start out in the low single digits for distributions to investors and that's on an annualized basis. So those distributions are going out. By the way, we distribute monthly. So those distributions go out and then the additional return that comes on a property comes from the sale typically. And that sale, we realize the appreciation and value. So this is where the cap rate discussion comes in. And I, I do love, you, I mean, I feel like you took like a page right out of like, if I had a script DJ, because you're talking about buying a business. And this is what I tell investors. I say, listen, we're buying a business. It happens to be an apartment building and businesses are valued. And if you're a stock market investor, you understand this, are valued on NOI unless it's a speculative stock, it's a new stock and they have no cash, have no cash value like in dot-com back in the day. Um, but that 
if you can increase that net operating income, you can predictably increase the value of that property. So when we sell a property, we're typically looking to add another 10% a year to that return, if that makes sense. So if you add those up, you're looking at somewhere in the mid-teens return. And again, that those values are going to fluctuate based upon how quickly we renovate the units, how the market rents are doing, and then that appreciation is based on the cap rate. So, you know, again, mid, mid to high single digit cash on cash returns and mid-teen returns, again, they can, they can fluctuate based on exit cap rates. And I've certainly seen um, significantly higher returns in, in some of the properties we've been in. And I've also seen returns that are lower when things didn't go so well. Yeah. And something I want to touch on here is in a typical deal that you're seeing uh, operators put in, you have general partner, you have limited partners, and then you have the actual debt if you're looking at the capital stack, so to speak. Um, In this deal, you guys have your general partners, of course, but you have two different classes of limited partners. I'd love to hear the thought process behind that and what each different uh, share offers to the investors. Absolutely. So... Yeah, so let's let's look at it from a high level first. So if you're if you're new to syndication and you're listening, um, what we do is when we syndicate a deal, it's it's very simple. We're bringing in partners that are investors. We're the general partners, and our investors are the limited partners. Being a limited partner is beautiful. I'm by the way, I'm a limited partner in um, more than a dozen deals. I think fifteen or eighteen at, at this point, and those limited partners are 100% passive. They get to collect their distribution checks. They get to uh, get the benefits of all the work that the general partners, the operating partners put in on the back end. So when we buy a property, those partners, as well as the general partners, we invest in every deal we do. We're typically investing five to 10% of the total capital that's in there. We fund an LLC and that LLC goes and it buys the property. So we're not, this is, we're not doing a fund structure when we buy these properties, at least not currently. And when that LLC buys the property, the way it works is we put debt on the property. So we're typically trying to put somewhere 70, 75% um, of loan to value or LTV. Um, 80% would be on the high end. So one of the things that we do to keep that LTV on the low end is we have these two different classes of investors that you mentioned, Dante. And that does a couple things. One, it gives us another option for investors. So what we call our class A investors. So once we pay the loan, we pay our class A investors and our class A investors get a fixed return. So that fixed return is higher than the projected cash on cash return for our our B investors is what uh, you know, we were talking about the return structure here previously, um, just a couple minutes ago. So those A investors are going to get paid first. They're going to get a higher return, but it's essentially a fixed loan. So we're able to keep our loan to value for the loan with the institution down. We're able to add that option for investors. And people say, well, Chris, which should I invest in, A or B? A is great if you are someone who needs a predictable monthly income stream for things like paying your mortgage, paying for utilities, groceries, maybe even your kid's college education. So if you want a predictable income stream that's secured by a very stable asset, like you know this, this asset we're talking about that has residents that are making on average $80,000 a year, we're going to be able to pay out those A investors, even if occupancy is in the 70s. So it's a, it's a nice, secure investment. Now, the A Just investors- Let me interrupt you real go quick. Go ahead. So sure. if someone might be saying, okay, so a fixed return, does that mean they're debt investors or are they still technically an equity investor in the project? 
Yeah. So technically the way it's structured, they would be an equity investor, but they are going to, they're not going to get any appreciation on the back end the way it's structured. So they're not participating in the upside. They just get the return of their capital at uh, disposition. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Uh, it, just yeah. something I wanted to mention in case someone had a, a little bit of confusion there between, but please go right ahead. You're doing a great job. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you invest $100,000, for instance, you get that fixed return. So let's say it's for five years and then you get your, your capital back at the end of that, assuming that everything goes according to plan. Now, the B investors get paid after the A investors. They get the actual cash flows from the property, but the upside is that they get the appreciation from the property. They're the ones that benefit from that. So we pay the debt first, we pay the A investors second, the ALP investors second, the BLP investors, and then the GP partners get paid last. So when you guys uh, put out your materials for this, um, when you talk about things like cash on cash, does it factor in those A investors? Uh, it, oh yeah, absolutely it yeah. does. So it's it's really, um, you know, that's a great question, DJ. So essentially the, the way to think about it is, you know, that's that's almost like mezzanine debt if you're, if you're mm -hmm. familiar okay. um, with that term. Um, yeah. But it's, if you think about it from an <clears throat> investor perspective, because the way it's structured, you know, it, it lowers the risk since we're lowering uh, the LTV of the property. And it also gives those investors that additional option for those that would like it. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I've actually done some private money loans, so it actually sounds very similar to that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, in terms of uh, return of, is there any return of capital, any return of the investment throughout the life of this deal? How long is it uh, scheduled for? That's a great question. So, you know, people say, "Hey, Chris, when are you going to refinance this property?" So, if if you're from if you're listening and you're familiar, you might say, "Well, hey, I, a great strategy is when you do a refinance at year two or three, when the value of the property is increased, take some capital off the table." And what happens then is that's like you were just saying, DJ. That's a, that's classified as a return of capital, which is not typically taxable, which is a really nice, efficient way to get investors their money back. So, I've certainly I've I've not only invested in deals that where that's happened. Happened. I've also structured deals um, where that's happened. Um, however, when we present the deal, if you look through it, you're going to see that we don't make that assumption. And if if you're familiar with finance, you mentioned the term IRR before DJ. So if we give investors their capital back sooner, that's going to really increase the IRR. So um, you know some some of the properties that I've been in that have had significant IRRs, we're getting, you know, 25 to 50% of the capital back in year two or three. And that's certainly part of our plan, but we don't put that in our pro forma. So, you know, if an investor expects a 15% return and we can refinance the property, it's actually called supplemental debt. You put, there's provisions within the loan where we can do that. And you put that supplemental debt on the way to, nice way to think about that. If you're a, you know, if you're a, a property owner and you've heard of a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, or a second mortgage, you know, if you take that money out of your property, you don't pay tax on that until you sell the property. So it's a nice way to get some capital back in your pocket, redeploy it. You can deploy it into another investment. Uh, that means you can decrease your risk. You can also become more diverse in your portfolio. Um, so yes, we, we like to do that, but we don't illustrate that when it comes to our returns to investors. So Chris, you just mentioned supplemental loan and supplemental loan is typically a, a Fannie product is what I've been told. 
So talk to us about the debt on this property. Where are you guys getting the debt from and a little bit of the, the terms that you guys are taking advantage of? Yes, we're actually rolling into the final phase of this and we just finalized the lender that we're going to be uh, working with this. So we're working with a private lender on this. Uh, it's going to be uh, a five-year loan. It's going to be, um, we're actually doing uh, uh, interest rate cap on this property. So I got to, uh, frankly, since we we had two different lenders we were working with, um, I as of today's date, I don't have all the specifics worked out on that. So I kind of talk really high level because we have a couple options out there, um, but it is going to be a private lender. So we've, we've worked with Freddie, um, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae. Um, we've also worked with private lenders in today's market with the way uh, rates are and with the way products are, we're able to get a little bit more advantageous terms working with some private lenders. And some people may say, well, isn't it, isn't it risky if you have a floating rate product, which we have, it, it is more risky because you don't know if interest rates are going to be going up or down. So one of the strategies that we do, and this is where we're able to arbitrage uh, some of the products that are in the market today is we put an interest rate cap. So we know it's not going to explode above, you know, say four and a half to 5%, even if we're coming in at a three or three and a half percent interest rate. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really smart taking that uh, preventative measure purchasing that cap or that ceiling. So it, it is somewhat predictable to you guys. Now, a lot of people that are coming into deals like this that are especially, uh, they're stabilized assets, 90% occupancy and higher. They're looking at that agency loan. They're like, oh, it, you know, it's a great product, but you're talking about private. To someone that's not familiar with that, where is a source without obviously ex uh, exact names, but where are you sourcing this private funds from? Yeah, a lot of these lenders, they, they're funded by like hedge funds, for instance, and, and other private capital sources. So, and, and we, we've even worked with companies, but they only have like a single source of capital, which that can be a little, that can be a little more challenging to work with them depending on how they're done. So you know, there's a lot of, I mean, you can get, you can get loans from life insurance companies. So if anybody's familiar with me, if you've heard my prior interviews or podcasts, I'm a big fan of cash value life insurance. And people may say like, where do life insurance companies invest money? They invest money in really high quality assets, sometimes like the multifamily products, like we're talking about, um, you know, big, stable commercial offices, um, buildings with long-term leases. And they also, they also invest money and lend money out on stable properties as well. So, you know, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you know, talked about some of these private lenders that are backed in some cases by hedge funds, as well as life insurance companies. There's a lot of different, a lot of different options out there um, for, you know, institutional quality assets like this. Awesome. I like that. And when we were kind of talking about the business plan and what you guys are planning to do to the property, you were just saying how you know, the developer, the current owner, they, they really just missed on the interiors. They didn't really highlight in there. Are you guys planning on going in and renovating 100% of the interiors? Um, and where do you guys see this asset being positioned for the next buyer? What type of buyer do you think would be the one that would come in and, mm -hmm. and capitalize on this asset from you guys? That's yeah, a great question. So, um, and let me add something that also they have, they don't have, they have an out of town regional manager that comes in and um, it, they're not doing a, a terrific job in our, I mean, being 10th in the market in terms of rents, I think there's, it's, it's more than just the interiors. So we believe that there's some operational efficiencies and the uh, manager that we're using FCA property management, we work with them in Raleigh, we work with them in Charlotte, we work with them in Orlando, they have properties in Charleston as well. So we're very confident that they're going to be able to execute the plan that we've, we've done with, with this package. Um, in the past. So um, 
question was uh, who's gonna who's gonna buy this right from Correct. us? Correct. Yeah. And, and, and uh, renovated units. How many do you plan? Do you plan doing one hundred percent renovation? I, I apologize. Okay. Yep. So one hundred percent. And now we may if if we get if we're able to achieve our metrics. And sometimes what happens is we go into markets, and what we find is that we do kind of A/B testing, right? So because we're not the ones leasing the units and setting the pricing structure. Like for instance, this is a, this is a three level property. So there's, there's three floors in this property. Well, a lot of times in our, in our multi-level properties, which they all are, we, you can charge a premium depending on the location based upon where, where that unit is. They're charging the same, there's no premium for the floor. Um, you know, sometimes what we do is one of our strategies is we like to go in and put little like dog, dog yards in on the first level, you can charge a premium for those. So there's no premiums being charged on those. So some of our pricing strategies aren't just due to the interiors. Um, so operational testing, figuring out which units uh, uh, rent the best, figuring out what premiums we can get on the floors. Those are things that we're going to do. Um, and yes, we plan and we've raised the funds to, to um, renovate all 350 units, but if we can hit our projections and not have to spend that money, you know, and, and exit sooner then you know, that's an option as well. Um, and then who's going to buy it from us. Typically, you know, there's, you know, there's different segments of the market, you know, you can, you can build, you can build and hold it and own it, rent and lease it up. Um, we like to buy from, you know, those companies that are, that have built the property and are, are selling it before they put their, um, capital in. And then, you know, I mean, we were just talking before the show that you guys are, are buying a property built in the 80s. Now it's, you know, it's a slightly smaller property than this, but there's a lot of people that want to buy renovated units that are stabilized, that have, you know, a really high quality resident base that they can run for the next five years and just have a really safe return on their money. And then they can sell them to somebody like you guys that are comfortable, you know, re-renovating a property that, you know, instead of being five years old, maybe 25 years old. So Dante, I'm sitting here listening to Chris and I'm like, what a great storyteller. Like, <laughs> oh, thank you. That's why he wrote a book, <laughs> he's, right? He's, he's like such a, you know, <laughs> got such a peaceful voice and, you know, it's, uh, we're falling it's asleep. All, I'm in. Soothing, I'm not in. boring, you know, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. That's where I'm going. It's, it's oh, very uh, comforting, I guess is the word. Uh, so uh, here's, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you. Sure. Charleston's known for flooding. Uh, sure. I was waiting for this question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great question. Yeah, so go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So we're, so we're not in the floodplain. We don't have to have flood insurance. Um, but I, look, you know, hurricanes happen. We have that. We're going to have adequate insurance when it comes to all this. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, natural disasters happen. And that's one of the things you need to consider when you're investing in a market and say, hey, you know, does, does this operator have experience in markets like this? Do they, do they have proper insurance? You know, it, what height is the property located at? Um, you know, has, has the insurer looked at it? You know, what are they going to do? Because that can really, if you, if you whiff on insurance or taxes, that can really blow your pro form out. Yeah, no, that makes sense. What about for other income for the property? So it doesn't sound like current ownership or management or regional manager is not firing on all cylinders. It seems like they're missing some opportunities. Do you guys plan on coming in and implementing uh, any other fees or a ways to bring in other income for the property, whether that's storage or covered parking or pet fees or whatever that is. Yeah. So all, all of the above, and I'll, I'll kind of go through a couple of the strategies that we like. Um, there are garages on this property. So we think we can get uh, a bit more of a premium for the garages that are being there. 
you know, not to be too, too pejorative for the, for the current operators, but we, we definitely think that there's some inefficiencies that we can exploit um, with respect to that. One of our net, okay, so let's, let's look at some of the changes that have occurred over the past year or two uh, in terms of COVID. So how are renters changing their, their habits when it comes to things? So this, this property has outdoor balconies, outdoor spaces, you know, those, those are things that are a premium, right? Um, renters now prefer bigger spaces or workstations. And if I had some videos that I put up on social media, there's built-in workstations in a lot of the units. Um, but then if you're working from home, renters expect high quality, high-speed internet. And if, if you're like, for, for instance, in my area, you have Charter, you have Spectrum, um, you, have, you have Skyrunner, which is a satellite service. We have one option where I live. We have one option out of those three. We just... That's, that's just all, all we have access to where we are. So if you're renting, a lot of times, if you've been a renter, you know, they're like, hey, we have this satellite on top of the building or this, you know, this source that you get. Um, we've worked with a couple different companies and we actually become the internet service provider. So now what we do in most of our properties is we come in, we say, okay, this, this, these are your internet options. You get, you know, you know, slow, medium, high speed internet, whatever, whatever, um, you know, uh, the, the different speeds are that we're able to offer in that property. And then there's a technology payment that they pay. So the, the tenant, the, the resident that comes in, they may pay $1,200 a month in rent and then pay another $75 for their technology fee for internet. And that's, you know, that's straight to our bottom line because the companies we partner with, a lot of times they cover, if not all, a large portion of the upfront expense on that. And it's, it's a tremendous boost. And we can usually offer, I say, I say usually just because I don't like to use um, absolutes, but we can usually offer that product, that service at a lower price than they would get from one of those other providers that are out there. So it's, it's a win. It's something that we expect to be able to implement across all the units. But if you, again, if you look at our pro forma, we don't assume that it's going to go across all units, but as people renew, the, renew those leases, that's what happens. Right. Yeah, no, I love that. And Chris, if you're willing to talk about it, what about on the GP side? So your team, how are you guys being compensated for, you know, acquisition asset, maybe a construction management or disposition fee? I know you guys said you're, you're putting in a decent amount of capital to the deal, which I, I always praise that, you know, put skin in the game. If you believe in the deal enough, you're going to put some dollars in. And, you know, that's what DJ and I do with our deals as well. We, we put in uh, limited partner shares, for ourselves, and we partake yep. in those returns. So, talk to us a little bit about what you guys are absolutely. doing on the GP side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think again, if you're if you're an investor, these are terrific questions to ask the operator. So you'd say, "Hey, how much of your own money are you putting into this deal?" If the answer is zero, that should raise at least a yellow flag. You should say, "Well, why not?" And right. if they can't if they can't convincingly answer that, that makes a lot of sense. You need to probably take a little bit of a step back. Yep. And, um, and, and think about that. So yeah, we're, we're all, every single one of the GPs is investing our own capital in this deal. Um, again, since our, since things vary from deal to deal, I'll kind of give you a high level and maybe some ranges here, but we typically have an acquisition fee that's for our time going out, finding these deals, sourcing these deals and, and putting everything together um, as well as, as the financing, you know, getting the financing in place uh, on the front end and, you know, people think, oh, you guys do a lot of deals. It's like, we just, we just found out two days ago, we lost another deal. It's like, this happens almost every week we lose a deal. And um, people don't understand the amount of work that goes into the act. Like we're at the, we're at the phase where we're setting up our SEC 
documents. And that is no easy task. There's a lot of stuff to do. There's a lot of legwork. You know, we spend full days just filing paperwork and, and tasks. Yeah. And it's tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on these larger deals. Um, we put up in some cases, millions of dollars of hard money. And yep. it's not, that's not an exaggeration for a property of this size. So what that means is myself and my other partners, we're putting up hard money. If, if the deal falls apart, if we can't close on that deal, we don't get that money back. Right. So, You're taking risks. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, we're comp, we're compensated that for that on the front end. Um, and it's, 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 that's reasonable, you know, um, but you know, I had a, I had a successful career in med device and, you know, that's not why we work. What we do is we work to provide returns to the investors and we expect to get a return on the back end. So we have, we have an asset management fee that we charge. We have a, a full-time asset manager, uh, Brian on our team managed a billion and a half dollar portfolio. He come, came from a large company. I'm very experienced with that. So he oversees all of our property management. You know, of course, we have we have oversight when it comes to asset management and looking over how everything is performing. But Brian is the one that's overseeing all that. And, you know, managing a, a half a billion dollar portfolio is kind of cute for somebody that's yeah, right? a portfolio that big. <laughs> um, so really, you know, how, how do we how do investors get paid? How do we get paid? Um, I don't know if we mentioned this, but we do what's called a preferred return. So investors typically get uh, somewhere between like six, seven, eight percent of the first part of the return. So that means if returns, if say a preferred return is 7% and the property only returns 5% over five years, we get nothing as general partners on the back end. We don't get any equity upside on the back end. Um, what that also means is let's say the property produces a 15% total return, but investors only get a 5% return over those five years. So that's a 25% return. If the preferred return was 7% over five years, they should have gotten 35%. So they get the first 10% of any upside after that. And right then make what up. We, correct. And you'll typically see, again, our, our deals, most of our deals are the same uh, in markets today, like a 70, 30 split is pretty typical for that uh, equity split on the back end, but I've seen 80, 20, all the way up to 50, 50. And it depends on the deal structure, the risk, the preferred returns, you know, obviously that probably the higher the preferred return um, for investors, maybe the higher the split for the partner on the back, the general partners on the back. Right. To make up for it. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that that's how we get paid. So if investors get the first 7%, and then there's another 10% return on top of that, they get the next say 7%. And as the GPs, we would split the the 3% of the equity on the back end. You know, if you look at, look at uh, a very simple example, like, right. that. again, I'm not saying that this is what, this is exactly what this property looks like, but it's no, not no, no, just off. giving a good, good, yeah. even example. So yeah. it, something I've been hearing a lot of operators do is what's called a GP catch up or a class B catch up, which in this case wouldn't be a class B because you guys have that class B as a, a second limited partner share. Um, are you guys just doing a regular 7% preferred return? Anything therefore after is a 70, 30, or if you guys don't get paid as the general partners after any preferred returns, are you guys catching up or getting compensated when the property goes to sale to make up for that? If that wasn't like too confusing, it's a, it's a new method I've been seeing people tackle. Yeah. That's not, that's not something that we're employing on this one. Okay. Understood. Um, okay. Very good. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to tell us about the deal? Anything that kind of excites you about it? I mean, I know we hit a lot on it. 
Yeah. Well, I th- again, I think, you know, I- I'm excited about the market and that's really the big thing. So again, uh, we'll kind of start where or finish where we started. So if you're looking at deals, be comfortable with the geography, be comfortable with the operator, be comfortable with the strategy and the type of asset that you're going into. And I'm, I know the market. I almost moved to Charleston five years ago. My family and I have been vacationing there for over a decade. I almost bought vacation property there, but I'm very, or second home there, but I'm I feel very fortunate that I instead invested in my first multifamily deal. Um, so if if you're looking at a property, don't get excited about the deal before you get excited about the geography and yeah. what's going on. Market, and yeah. I yeah, and I love I love what's going on in Charleston. I think a lot of people see it. They like moving there. We understand it. We have roots there as partners. And that's, that's what really gets me excited about this market, even though I can talk about how great the returns are going to be. Those fundamentals, I think, are going to persist no matter what happens here over the next few years. Yeah, I love that. One, one of the questions we usually ask during the deep dive is, you know, how did you guys find this market? But, you know, right out up front, you answered that. You were just saying how one of the partners, that's the territory he covers, and you had that broker relationship. So that is great. I, Chris, before you head out, we did this last time and I want to do it again for any listeners that weren't uh, able to attend that show, uh, what we call the curious cues. So I'm going to throw some questions at you, get your answers, and then let's we'll get you out of here. Sound good? Awesome, man. Let's do it. All right. Favorite podcast you enjoy listening to besides your own, my own, someone yeah. else's. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I've had a lot of podcasts I've listened to, but I, I I'm going to I like Joe Rogan for a lot of different reasons. I listen. I just listened to probably one of my favorite podcasts of all time. It was an interview with Evan Hafer. And what I like, Evan Hafer is the uh, founder of Black Rifle Coffee Company. And what I like about Joe Rogan is he's, he is, um, he's an interesting guy from a political uh, side of things. He's, he would call himself a progressive. He's got somebody that was in the military that was in special forces and founded a coffee company called Black Rifle. And they talk about politics. They talk about, um, you know, the nature of what's going on in America right now. And I like Joe Rogan because he's just not, he just doesn't care if he offends people. And that, that really- Right, he speaks his mind. In this day and age, absolutely. I like it. Favorite book you enjoy reading? Yeah, so um, I, I've, I've been asked this. So last year, I've, I've said my book of the year was Lifespan. So a lot of people always think I'm going to give some financial- uh, book that's out there. But I think if if you can spend more time on this planet and you increase what's called your health span, if you're healthier and more productive, you can have a bigger impact. So Lifespan by David Sinclair is a must read. Awesome. Love to check that one out. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome? Yeah. So I, um, you know, if, if you're listening, you probably have had a failed relationship in some way, shape or form. And, you know, my, my first big partnership in the space you know, we're no longer partners. I learned a lot from that. And it was, it's one of those things, you know, at the time is like, well, how, how am I ever going to recover from this? But what's interesting is it's kind of like, it's kind of like the people that have been in the business for a long time, they say, welcome to the club. And it's like anything, you know, if you, if you're in a relationship and you've never had a failed relationship, you probably aren't as good at relationships as those people that have, that have right. gone through a couple of things and figured out how to deal with some of those hardships. Yeah. I like that. Favorite non-real estate related hobby? What are you doing in your free time? Yeah, I, uh, I, I've raced or ridden bicycles. I've uh, ridden bicycles competitive, competitively for about 30 years. I uh, just did an event this past Saturday um, called the Belgian Waffle Ride just outside of Asheville <laughs> here. 
and it was uh, it was a road gravel off road event. It was really cool, um, and it was right just just right south of Asheville. So I still love riding my bike, and um, I love riding with my family now as well. I love it. And newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started in the real estate space? Yeah. So this is, this is a no brainer. So if you're looking to get started, you need to find somebody who has done what you want to do that has shown the success in that area. And, you know, you need to find somebody that can mentor you and give you advice because it's like, it's like anybody, like we were talking about engineering, you would not hire somebody who's not gone to school or worked under somebody to be an engineer and build a bridge. You wouldn't go to a surgeon who hasn't gone not only to med school and gone through a residency and fellowship, which by the way, a fellowship is them working underneath another surgeon, learning their craft. So if you're, if you're setting out, exactly. If you're setting out to be good and successful at real estate, find somebody to apprentice, to mentor, uh, to, to mentor you, to work underneath and learn the skills and the habits of success from them. I love that. That is such good advice. Chris, it was uh, such an honor having you on the show again. We really appreciate your time. If someone was listening to this episode and they really liked what you had to say, or they liked the deal that you're presenting, um, or just the soothingness in your voice, as DJ would say, um, how could they go ahead and get in contact with you? You know, it's funny. I mean, I don't know. Most people are like, I don't, I don't love my voice, but it's, it was, it's nice to hear that. And his name's DJ. So it's like a oh, DJ voice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so check us out nextlevelincome.com. If you want to get a free copy of my book, click on the book link. Uh, if you want to check out our deals, click the invest button and you can set up a time for us to talk. And I, you know, would love, love for anybody listening that thinks they're a good fit to check our deals out. But I always like to learn about your goals and if, if you're a good fit for what we do. Awesome. I love it. Thank you again, Chris, for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.